All right, before we get into the Hebrews part here, we're going to be doing a comparison because the Hebrews is talking about the supremacy of Melchizedek over the Aaron priesthood. And so before we get into the things that Hebrew has, Hebrews has to say on that, we wanted to dip on back and give us some background here on it. Back in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. Galatians 4 and verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So we're equating here two different covenants. The, the first one would be the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai, which is the law, which is actually a covenant that was made after the first covenant. The first covenant was with Abraham, so that predated that one. So the covenant that is of Hagar is uh, the second covenant and is of the bondwoman. Now Abraham had two sons, it says, one from the bondwoman, that's, that's Hagar, and one from the free. The, the one is born of flesh, the other one is a promise. So with, uh, with, with Hagar, basically the, the promise isn't working. It's, it doesn't seem to be coming about, so, you know, maybe we ought to just try it this other way. And let's see if we, I thought I put it in my outline for me here. I did. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. See, it's God's fault. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall attain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Now, any time you have to say, perhaps, perhaps God will let me have children through, through her. Anytime you're saying perhaps, you do not know the will of God. Because if you know the will of God, you're not going to be saying perhaps. You're going to be saying we know. And we don't have that terminology in Sarai's uh, words that she's choosing here. So they do not know this is the will of God, but well, perhaps this will, will happen this way. And we don't want things on perhaps. We want, to, we want things because we, we know what's going on. So one is born of the flesh and the other one is born of, of, uh, of the promise. Those who are in bondage produce children that are in bondage. So if you are not free and you have children, those children are not free either. I mean, it's not fair. It's not right. We don't like the whole idea of it. But if, if there are uh, slaves and they have children, those are, those are children of slavery. And they go into to slavery as well. And, but if they're free... Then that's, that's not the same way. So that's the comparison that he's making here. Those that are born of free people, they have free children. So the bondage here is represented first off by Hagar, the Egyptian. And we know that Egyptian represents bondage. And Hagar is representing that. Even though Hagar, the Egyptian, is the one who's in bondage in this, this one. Mount Sinai is the other one. And this represents the law. Mount Sinai comes in, but it represents bondage. And then the third one is Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that is there now. That now is, as, he, as the writer puts it. So the first son is born 
of an act of doubt and unbelief. We're not believing that the promise is going to come about. We're not believing what God said. We're not believing that it's going to happen the way that God said. So perhaps it will happen this way. So an act of doubt and unbelief brought about the first son. The second son was born of faith in the promise. So that which of the second covenant, Sinai, is not of faith. So those things that are of Egypt, not of faith. Those things that are of Sinai, not of faith. And this is the comparison that he's making. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So when we look at Mount Sinai, we see the covenant that comes, and the covenant that comes there is the covenant of the law. But by that covenant, no flesh shall be justified. For by the law, no flesh shall be justified. Further down in verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now Abraham was supposed to have the child in faith. Instead they had the child in the flesh in bondage, which is representative of the law. So here's where we have the the two sons that that are coming in. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So again, we have another verse. No, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. It can't, can't be done this way. Galatians 3 and verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Further down in verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You have become, uh, verse uh, 4 in chapter 5. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. One more verse in Acts chapter 13, verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So a lot of verses talking about you are not going to be justified by the law. You're going to be justified by faith. So the emphasis is taken off of the law and put on to the, the other. <clears throat> now in verse 25 of, of Galatians, For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So Hagar, and that's the third one. We had Hagar, we had Mount Sinai, And we had Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that now is. Those are the three things that are representative of the law. Three things that are representative of the the flesh, so to speak. Three things that represent you cannot be justified by. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. Now with Hagar, what we had with Abraham was, first off, the promise came. Abraham receives the promise, you and Sarai are going to have a baby. That wasn't working fast enough, so then we had the flesh child that came. But the promise came first. The flesh child came after that. Then we had the faith child that was born. Once we had the faith child that was born, then conflict arose between what was of faith and what was of flesh. And so they cast out the bondwoman with the child. And that was the order of things. Of course, a lot of things happened in there as well, but just for our, our reasonings there. 
That's what we need to see. So Hagar corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. Now, what is the now that he is referring to? It says, hey, Hagar corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. Well, there's really only one Jerusalem he can be referring to. Not the Jerusalem of Hagar's day, but the Jerusalem of the writer's day. So when he is writing this book, he is saying the Jerusalem that now is. So the Jerusalem that they are looking at, the Jerusalem that they are living in, the Jerusalem that Jesus walked in, that particular Jerusalem corresponds to Hagar, which corresponds to the law, which corresponds to the flesh. Isn't that interesting? The, the Jerusalem that they are in right now, he is saying is, like, is, is corresponding to Hagar, corresponding to the law, corresponding to the flesh. But then he goes on in verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free. Now, if you were up on Facebook today, how many people are up on Facebook? All right, just one person. <laughs> I put up on Facebook there that there's something in this passage that I've been teaching wrong because I didn't understand it right. So I got better understanding on it now, so we'll teach it right. But I taught this before in an incorrect manner and, um, and taught that the, the Jerusalem above is free. I've taught that that's a Jer- the new Jerusalem coming down from above. But look at what it says here in the verse. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, how can the Jerusalem, which has not manifested yet, be the mother of us all? Is that possible? The new Jerusalem hasn't come down yet. So I guess we, we look at that and say, well, we're the, it's, it's the mother of us all, as in it's already there, and we're just waiting for it to come down, and so we're of it. Except that um, this, this verse is mistranslated, and that's why we have a, a wrong interpretation of it. You see, that word there for above can mean one of two things. One, it can mean to be higher than the one it's referring to, which is how they translated it. The other way is to translate it that it is before. Either above, as in position, or before, as in time. Now, if you're comparing to Jerusalem that is now, and you're talking about Hagar... Which one do you think he means? Not the Jerusalem that is above, but the Jerusalem that was before. So the Jerusalem that is now is of Hagar and the law. So what Jerusalem does he refer to? But the Jerusalem above is free, or the Jerusalem before is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, who are we considered to be children of? Are we considered to be children of Hagar? No. We're considered to be children of 
Well, the promise is given to who? Abraham. And we are called sons of Abraham. So the reference is to Abraham. Did Hagar and, and uh, Abraham exist at the same time? They certainly did. They certainly did. They both existed at the same time. The Jerusalem that is now is a Jerusalem that is under law and is under bondage, which is what Jesus found when he came there. That it was under law and it was under bondage. In Abraham's day, the Jerusalem that then was, was not under law and it was not under bondage. It was free. Who was the king and priest during Abraham's day? Melchizedek. So the Jerusalem in Abraham's day was free. They came under law. And in, and in Jesus' day, or the writer of Hebrews' day, it's under law. But the Jerusalem that existed before was free. Isn't that interesting? Not the one that was above, but the one that was before. So what we want to do is get back to Jerusalem that was in Abraham's day, which is represented by Melchizedek, who was the king and priest, so when Jesus comes on the scene, he is going to be of the order of Melchizedek because to become of the order of Aaron would be to be, be one who is of Hagar, the law, the bondservant. We want to be of the free, which is Jerusalem that was before. So we're bypassing all the things from the, the time of the law. <clears throat> Here in Hebrews chapter 7, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, if it were, which it's not, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? If the Aaron priesthood was going to bring people to perfection, why do we need anything else? This is perfectly good. This is perfectly fine. Did I read over the Galatians 4.27 and up? Or did we stop before that? Okay. I saw it there, but I didn't remember if I went on through and read that. I want to make sure that we had So the Levitical priesthood was not perfect because it was a bondage, not freedom. That was the problem with the Levitical priesthood. Now the whole reason that we have a a Levitical priesthood, the whole reason that we've got it to begin with, is because of disobedience. You don't have a Levitical priesthood without disobedience. And once again, Mount Sinai is, is uh, is at the center. When the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai and they all got into that, Moses isn't coming down, let's go, let's raise up for ourselves a leader to take us back. They made the, the golden calves. They had the big party. Moses comes down. He sees it, throws the tablets down. He says, who is on the Lord's side? And it's just, it just blows my imagination that out of all those people, an entire tribe stands... Uh, stands out. You would think there'd be some from this tribe, some from this side, tribe, and some, but it wasn't. 
one entire tribe pulls himself out and says, we are not, we're not with this. We don't like this. We don't want this. We're on the Lord's side. And that's why they were selected as the, as the priest. But up until then, it wasn't supposed to be that way. The priests were to come from the nation of Israel. But because of disobedience, that priesthood was put to the tribe of Levi. But that was not the intention. The intention all along from God was to have a nation of priests. But he can't have that because of the disobedience they fell in. And so because of disobedience, we have a Levitical priesthood. So why would you want to have Jesus Christ come of the Aaron high priesthood to further the Levitical priesthood, which was not what God wanted in the first place? Then you would make the Levitical priesthood an eternal priesthood, an eternal order. But the law was never supposed to be an eternal order. The law was for a time to bring people back to God. So the Levitical priesthood was going to be the same thing. So when the law finishes, so does the Levitical priesthood. It needs to be finished. And so what Jesus does is he goes back to Melchizedek. Let's go all the way back to here because back in this day, this is when Jerusalem was free. We're going to go back to the priesthood when they were free. They were obviously God-fearing. They had a king and a priest who served Jehovah God. Even though they were in a land that was not known to serve Jehovah God. But that city did. <clears throat> Verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So the priesthood being changed is also a change of necessity. There's also going to be a change of the law. For he, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. So when Jesus comes out of the, out of the tribe of Judah, Judah was, there's nothing about Judah for the priesthood. When we have that rebellion at the, at the mountain, Judah did not show up and say we're on the Lord's side. They were on the other side. So there is no priesthood put into the tribe of Judah. And yet Jesus very clearly comes out of there because the, the birth issue comes in and he needs to be born of the house of David. So he comes of the lineage of David and of the house of Judah. But there's no priesthood that's in there. No, or no Levitical priesthood comes from that place. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if... In the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. I mean, wow, what a statement. Not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. A commandment that is, that is of the flesh, so to speak, and that the commandment stirs up our flesh. That's what the Word of God tells us. Then when the commandment came, it stirred up my flesh and makes me want to disobey. But he comes according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is the annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitability, unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is in the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. 
Now, he's going to be made a priest forever because contrary to all the other priests, he doesn't die. All the other priests, including Melchizedek, had an end. The Bible says it wasn't recorded, but it didn't mean that it didn't happen. It just meant it wasn't recorded. Then Jesus comes in and he's given the priesthood and, the ki- and he is king and then he's made priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but he doesn't die. He's not restricted that way. So he lives on forever. So that order of high priest will continue to go on. And we serve as priests underneath of that high priest. Now look at what the law cannot do. We already read these verses of Scripture. I just I wrote them there for you. But you already have them before and we already read them. The first off, the law cannot justify. It's powerless to justify. Secondly, it cannot provide the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So if Jesus is going to be a high priest, if he goes according to the order of, of the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, and it goes according to the law, how is he going to issue forth this, the Holy Spirit? Under Levitical priesthood, folks, there was no Holy Spirit for people. He didn't inhabit people. He came upon people for a period of time, but that was all. But when Jesus Christ comes in as the high priest, now he can bring in the Spirit because he is not coming into the law. And the Holy Spirit is not administered by the law. Therefore, he's going to be able to, to do this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Melchizedek takes us back to faith. The law doesn't. Number three, it cannot provide spiritual growth. The law cannot provide spiritual growth. The next verse goes on to read this way. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? The law cannot bring you to a place of perfection. It cannot bring you to a place of maturity. It cannot bring you to a place of spiritual growth. But Jesus Christ can because he's going back to a high priesthood of faith, not a high priesthood of law. 1 Timothy 1.9 throws this in for us too. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. That's what the law was given for. But faith wasn't given for that, was it? (laughs) So we're going to be of faith. In uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So if he ends the law of righteousness, how could he continue the Levitical priesthood, which is of the law? Because then you are eliminating part of the law, but having part of it continue on forever. So it was imperative that Jesus Christ not continue on the Levitical priesthood, but he go back to another priesthood. A priesthood that was before the law. A priesthood that was of faith. And, as it turned out, a priesthood from one who was both king and priest. And that's why it's so important that we go back to Melchizedek and not to Aaron and the ones that are, that are there. The purpose of the law is to expose and reveal is to expose sin and reveal the Savior. That's the purpose of the law. It's to come in to expose sin and to reveal He is their Savior. That's all I can do. You know, it's like that commercial they have on TV. I'm just a security monitor. 
I just spot that there's, there's a problem. That's what the law does. The law all can do is be, well, there's a problem. <laughs> that's, that's it. So every time you see that commercial, it comes on. talks about you, know, you all laugh at it. <laughs> I laugh at it. It's a great commercial. Um, but just to just remind us, that that's all the law can do. The law is powerless to do anything about the problem. It is just there to, hey, there's a problem. You've got a sin problem. You need a Savior. Right over there, there's a Savior. Uh, that's all I can do. They can point to sin, but neither remove it or prevent it. It can point to sin, but it cannot remove it or prevent it. When we had the priesthood of Aaron and all the priests that came in ministry, they could, they could cover up the sin with the blood of bulls and goats, but they could not eliminate it. Because they could not eliminate it, you could not stand in the presence of God in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit could not come and make His home in you. But when Jesus Christ came as the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, He wiped out the sin. He could deal with the sin problem. And He did deal with the sin problem. He doesn't deal with the sin problem the way that the old priest did of Aaron. In that, well, us, we'll offer a sacrifice and we will atone for your sin. We'll, we'll make God happy, so to speak. And we will cover up that sin and we'll cover up the next sin, and we'll cover up the next sin, and we keep covering up sins. But Jesus doesn't cover up sins. He wipes them out. If he was of the order of Aaron, he, he wouldn't be able to do it. That's what the Bible is basically teaching us. So he went to another order, an order of Melchizedek. And they were able to, they were able to do that. Now I wonder how much detail the author of Hebrews knows about what Melchizedek did as a priest. Because he doesn't give us any. What was he doing as a priest? He wasn't following the law, the Levitical law, because it wasn't there. So what did he do as an office of a priest? See, if we could understand some more about what he did as the office of a priest, we could probably understand a whole lot more about what Jesus Christ is going to be doing. But um, we don't don't have that. Most unfortunate. I wonder if he had it. I wonder if he had it there to teach. And just couldn't get that far with it. But Moses and Israel were servants in the house of God. Moses is often called, he is my servant. He is my servant. Abraham, Isaac, David. David is a servant in the house of God. But Jesus Christ was not a servant. Jesus Christ was, he was a son. He was a son. So we're coming after Jesus. We're not coming in to be servants. We're coming in to be sons. Aaron was a servant of God. Aaron's sons were servants of God. Their sons were servants of God. So as they served as a high priest, they served as servants of God, not as sons. But our high priest, folks, he is, <laughs> he is a son of God and not a servant. So here's the thing we need to be, be taking from this. We, we can look at the Levitical priesthood and we can say, oh, what a neat priesthood. Oh, what a, oh we ought to you know, preserve this. Look at this part of the law. Oh, I like this part of the law. Oh, I like this thing over here. And we look at different things in the law. Look at, and we, we say, I, I want to keep that. I want to hang on to that part. I like the, I, I like the parts of the, 
uh, pomp and circumstance around the, the uh, Levitical priesthood. I like all the things that they were doing and all the shiny instruments that they had and, uh, and the temple and, and all this sort of stuff. And we look at all that and we say, you know, we, we like that. And we end up taking some things from the law, from Hagar, from the bond servant, and we bring them into our lives because we think, oh, that looks nice. Oh, I like that part. And that's, that's not going to be helping us out. That's, that's not helping us. It's not doing us any good. I saw somebody, was, they were writing an article, and um, that was one of the people who was, it's a sports article, and they're writing something about the Super Bowl and the Eagles winning and all that sort of stuff. And he brought into his, his he said, I'm Catholic, he says in this, in this article. He says, I'm Catholic. And he says, um, you know, people will say, why do you go to church? You sit in the service for an hour. People speak in a language you don't understand. And you're kneeling and you're speaking and you're doing all up and down, all this sort of stuff. He says, why do you do that? He said, it doesn't sound like fun. His, uh, his response was, well, church isn't about being fun. <laughs> it was actually, he looked at it that it was supposed to be something that was kind of painful and drab and, and boring as sort of a, a penance almost that you, you come on in and you, and you do this because uh, uh, somehow it shows, I guess, that you love God or that you... you but what a shame. What a shame. We can take things from here and bring them on in and they keep us in the bondage because we don't know that there's anything else that there's, that there's out there. We don't know the life of the Word of God. We don't know the things that we're supposed to be moving into. But what kind of things, folks, have we moved in from the law? Not even aware of it. And we've got to make sure that we take those things and get them out. Because the Word of God wants us to be following after the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. But you see, we'll even look at other people and we'll tend to look at other people according to the letter of the law. Why aren't they doing what I think they ought to be doing? How come they're not operating this way? And then we actually begin to have an attitude towards those people because why aren't they... Why aren't they operating like this? Why aren't they going this way? And we get upset. And we don't realize that we have moved right on into the area of the flesh because we're hanging on to something from the law. The law will move you into the flesh. It will not move you into the spirit. It cannot perfect you. It cannot do anything that is good. And if you're going to follow after Jesus Christ, the high priest, you've got to get rid of the things of the law that hold you back and move into the things of the spirit. Here's something that, that we all still carry around with us. Boy, I'll tell you what, we need to get rid of this. We need to get rid of this. How many times have we looked at something in the Word of God? Have we looked at something in our Christian life and said, I just can't do that. I know that the Word of God is telling me I ought to live this way. I know the Word of God is telling me I ought to be in faith. I ought to be in walking in love. I ought to be forgiving. I ought to be long. I know the Word of God tells me to do these things, but I just can't. I have worked at it. I have tried See, that's part of the law. Because I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I have a high priest who has been through all this stuff. And instead of leaning on the high priest who's of the order of Melchizedek, I'm trying to find a high priest of the order of Aaron. Father God, I I don't see that I can do this, so please forgive me that I'm not walking in love. Please forgive me that I'm not walking in long-suffering. Please forgive me that I'm not walking in believing the best in other people. And I'm looking for a high priest 
to cover up the sins that I've got instead of serving the high priest who leads me out. He leads me into a place of freedom. I'm staying in a place of bondage because I feel like I can't follow after the high priest who's a high priest of freedom, who's a high priest of a whole different order. I tend to still think of of Jesus Christ as a high priest of the order of Aaron, even though I know that the Word of God says he's a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Because I look at myself as, well, I messed up, but at least I can come and I can do this and I can, uh, I can take care of things. Now we've got a different high priest, folks. We've got a high priest. We can come to him and say, you know what? You said in your word that I need to believe the best in other people. How do I do that when this and this goes on? And I've got a high priest who's been tempted in all points like, like I was, except he was successful. And my, that high priest can come over to me and say, hey, this is what you can do. This is how you can do it. This is how you rely on the strength of God instead of in the strength of your flesh. I've got a promise from the Word of God. That promise says that I can operate in the, in the walk of love. It says that I can operate in the area of faith. These are promises in the Word of God. These are things that are out there as, as part of the promise. But I look at those things and I say, I can't quite do that. And I go and I try and find a Hagar to have something that looks something like it where this looks like a son of promise. But it's not a son of promise. Now here's what he's Here's what he says at the end. Cast out the bondwoman. How many of you, when you read through the book of Genesis and you see that he gets to the spot where Isaac begins to get older and there's conflict that's there and Sarah says, and you know Sarah didn't say this out of the love of of God in her heart. (laughs) She says, I don't like them being around here anymore. We want to get rid of them. (laughs) She didn't do it for the right reasons, but God said, it's all right. Go ahead and do it because there's a symbolism here we need. You may still have bondwoman stuff in your life and it may be hard for you to do and it may seem cruel even but you need to cast out the bondwoman so that there's no conflict with the son of promise. What is it that we have in our life that is still considered to be of the bondwoman? What is we have in our life that is still considered to be of the law? What is it that we have in life that is not considered to be of the spirit? But whatever it is, no matter how much of a hold we think it has in our life, if we continue to have it, it will hold us back. There will be conflict between what is flesh and what is spirit. And though it may hurt us, and though it seems like it was cold, and it seems like it was heartless, and especially when we read the rest of the story and Hagar's finally despairs of life and puts the baby over in the spot so she doesn't hear her have to cry all the time, and Jesus figured, it's going to die. I'm going to die. And God says, no, I'm here to take care of you. But how hard was that for, for Abraham? I know it wasn't hard for Sarai. But how, how hard was it for Abraham to take this son and, and put her out? Put her out, put him out. How hard was it? And I don't know. But how hard is it for us to get rid of some of those things that are still having us be part of the flesh? Some of those things that we still want to have a high priest of the order of Aaron, not a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. 
We want a high priest that we can just come and say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And when they cast a few things over us, thank you, and we go on our way, ready to sin again. But Jesus Christ is of the order of Melchizedek. And the idea is not going out and sinning again. The idea is to go out and to sin no more. And we can have that freedom if we live not according to the law, not according to the bond woman, but according to the free. What is it that's in your life that we still hang on to that's keeping us in bondage? What is it you think, I can't get rid of that? But you can. Father, we thank you for the ministry of Jesus as our high priest. Not according to the priests of the law, but according to the priest of freedom. Not according to the Jerusalem that is under bondage, but the Jerusalem that was free. We want to be led into a place of freedom and not into a place of bondage. And we thank you that we have a high priest who can lead us there. All we need to do is listen and to hear his counsel, to follow his advice, and the words that are spoken to us in the Word of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.